We live inside a dream. Daddy wants to pod. Hello and welcome to uh, another <laughs> episode of Stan and Dave Need Wedding Dates uh, with your two favorite wimps who like Kubrick and Lynch. My name is Eric Keppel. And my name is Jeremy Schmidt. Hello. Hola. We are uh, we're talking blue. We're, we are talking blue velvet today, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> was, Boy, that, that I had was like a brief moment where I was yeah. like, wait, did I watch the right movie for this? Same. Uh, it's, uh, the way you delivered that just now made me feel like oh <laughs> shit are we watching fucking like i don't know or like did wild at heart come out before this or did we skip this for some reason yeah no blue velvet 1986's david lynch masterpiece blue velvet uh uh yeah eric um yeah i call it a masterpiece have you seen the movie before oh have i have i seen them this is probably one of my favorite movies of all time yeah this is the first david lynch movie i've seen for sure oh great um, I, I don't know if I told the story, but I like in there, it, it, the first laptop that I got, I was like a senior in high school and it was like a revolutionary moment for me where I could finally like lay on my back in my bed and like prop this thing on my, on my belly mm-hmm. and just like watch movies on it. That's uh, great. and I remember just like, just, um, allegedly, and this is a joke, stealing tons of movies from the internet uh and and uh-huh. just watching them uh and and just living the life of a of a of a recluse and i that's when i discovered blue velvet i didn't know who david lynch was or like what what i was in for even you're great um, and i i started it it was like a school night i remember and i was like i have an hour to watch something so i'll like watch half of this movie and then finish it tomorrow you can't watch half of Blue, Bel- Blue Velvet, my man. You, you, I, yeah. I just kept going. I, you know, you, you're tired the next day, but God yeah. damn it, it's it's a good movie. It's a really good movie. Yeah, yeah. I I I'm I'm like shocked at how much of this movie I didn't remember because I I have seen it before, but I saw it in college, so I guess it must have been at this point maybe ten years ago. And, you know, this is a movie that really stays with you. So, like, certain scenes I totally remembered, but, like, I didn't remember the entire plot to the movie going in. I, I, like, I was sort of surprised at how much of the the actual, like, uh, what the actual information, the actual content of what this movie is about completely um, evaded me during this during this watch like i remembered like you know dennis hopper and and the ear mm-hmm. and certain scenes but i i didn't remember like why anyone was doing anything they were doing so it was sort of like a fresh watch for me that's pretty great actually i've seen this movie like every couple years so i kind yeah. of just remember uh too much of it i wish i've always wished that there was a thing where i could just like erase something from my brain and and experience it again for the first time um, if that existed, I would probably like, uh, just be a fucking bum, just rewatching Twin Peaks like <laughs> over and over, and just like live the 
next 60 or so years of my life just doing that but yeah that's i i love that twilight zone episode i want to see that you just rewatching twin peaks <laughs> over and over again i think yeah. um i think this would be a great f- this is a great entry point for david lynch i think this movie would actually benefit from you not knowing who david lynch is um yeah so i wish i yeah. kind of had your experience because by the time i saw blue velvet i had already seen mulholland drive and Eraserhead, and by all accounts this movie is actually for as psycho as it is a little bit more tame than some of those other more like avant-garde uh films i know that's what i i i think i tried to like uh talk about this a little like set this up a little bit in our Eraserhead episode for people who haven't watched a lot of david lynch stuff is like Going through his work chronologically is like maybe not the best way to get into uh, mm-hmm. his stuff. Like Eraserhead for how beautiful it is and how good it is, it's like not incredibly accessible, uh, and it's not for everyone. Uh, the Elephant Man is is like really good and like technically very good, but it's also a, a huge downer. Uh, and Dune people is pretty polarizing. Mm-hmm. Uh, most people hate it. Um, so yeah, I would say, uh, I, I hope, I hope the people are, people are sticking who haven't watched any David Lynch before are sticking with it. Uh, cause yeah, it's, it's pretty much, it's pretty much all mostly good stuff from, from here on out. Um, and I will say all yeah, those three I, other I movies so. I consider to be, to be good also. Me, I consider me too. Eraser had to be just like a masterpiece. But, yeah, I think yeah. though if you're coming to this movie expecting the the David Lynch signature bizarro weirdness nonlinear storytelling, you're actually going to get something that's a little bit more Hollywood, a little bit more accessible. It's weird saying that because it's totally not Hollywood and actually not very accessible. But it like it it's like a straightforward story, you know? Like yeah, yeah, it's not like a Mulholland Drive where it like it's nonlinear and and uh, or Inland Empire, which is like fucking all backwards and crazy and shit. This is like, you know, the story of Jeffrey, <laughs> right? And the things and, that happened yeah. to Jeffrey, yeah. And this is David Lynch who started his first feature as like a like a passion project that he worked on for seven years and like uh everyone kind of pitched in with money and 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 labor and all that stuff um and wearing many different hats on the on the shoot and then he he gets sucked into this kind of like hollywood like big uh big movie making business for a couple of years or i guess maybe like 5 or 6 years and now he just kind he just gets to fucking like he he hated what he was doing on dune he, he i think he just felt like creatively uh pretty unfulfilled with dune and he i believe had the script written like by by the time Mm. when he was working on dune and he uh you could tell that he was just ready to just fucking cut loose and just just go for like something very weird but i also do think that like the fact that he did spend the five or so years in sort of the hollywood system leading up to this like doing more conventional quote unquote uh films um definitely helped this movie i think because that is probably like at play when we talk about like how this is a good entry point david lynch movie is yeah i think so i think it's maybe one of the best it's also probably one of the best films in his repertoire i also think this has a lot in common with um uh 
I mean, just that 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 scenario of having to work in the Hollywood system and then really being able to cut loose. We'll we'll get into that a little bit more on our next week's episode when we talk about Spartacus because that's a very similar situation where Kubrick kind of works yes. uh, through the Hollywood system in a situation where he doesn't have creative control, much like Lynch didn't in Dune, and then it comes back swinging in his next film where he just would never he would never allow himself to not have creative control again and. I feel like Lynch didn't really get a similar, his situation isn't necessarily that, but like most of his big heavy hitting films after this would sort of adopt this model of like unabashed, like un unflinching creative control. I think that, uh, this movie shows a lot of that and definitely Mulholland drive, definitely wild at heart. Uh, yeah. I think twin peaks is the only kind of weird outlier cause it's a television show. Right. So it gets fucked with a little bit, I think, in season two, <laughs> if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. It, uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. So so we'll uh, next week we'll talk about like what the plans are for, for uh, what we're going to do in, in terms of Twin Peaks episodes, because I think we're going to like probably bunch some of them up. So we're not if we do one episode per episode of this, we'll just be like. It'll go on forever, and we'll like way outlive the uh, the Kubrick side of things. Um, and I right. kind of like talking about these two filmmakers back and forth because there's some interesting parallels. Um, so yeah, I, I guess uh, if you haven't listened to this podcast before, we do uh, we're covering all the work of Kubrick and Lynch, uh, and we go back and forth week to week. So today we're doing a David Lynch episode, obviously, um, and. Uh, we have a Patreon going on, patreon.com slash Eric and Jeremy, uh, where for five bucks a month, you can listen to three to four uh, bonus episodes. Those are the fun ones. I mean, those are the... Uh, those are the... Uh, uh, I like to say I like to loosen the old tie for it. For yeah. That. I, I, I'm usually strangling myself with a necktie during these, and I mm-hmm. finally take it off right. for our... Uh, our Patreon recordings, but, um, yeah, I let, I let my hair down during those episodes. I really do. I keep my hair up in the attic. So whenever it's (laughs) a time, I just let it down, you know, I let it out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. In a, in a, in a, in a big jar, Jeremy just big jar of hair. hair. Mm -hmm. Uh, I have a friend who's like very funny and like, uh, uh, pretty artsy and, and just like a, just a fucking goofball. And he used to save his hair in uh, <laughs> in plastic bags, I think for like an art project <laughs> or something, in these like big Ziploc bags. Um, and he's he's like very funny and cool, but like also has these like really weird quirks where he does shit like that. And he yeah. was telling me about how he like brought a girl home one time and she like saw the, ba- <laughs> the bags of hair and kind of like bailed immediately. <laughs> uh, which is pretty funny but um but yeah we're also on our patreon we're covering uh tales from the crypt we're on season two right now it's a fucking blast it's so fun we are doing a uh what's it called frankenhooker uh because one of oh, our patrons yeah. brian requested it uh there's a patreon tier on our on our patreon where you can uh request uh that we do an episode about uh, pretty much anything. We'll do anything right. for money, right, Jeremy? Oh yeah, absolutely. And I do. I do literally anything <laughs> for money. I, I will say, yeah. uh, it's 
it's uh we're recording full disclosure we're recording both those episodes right now and it's just so weird i wish we could talk about the parallels between blue velvet and frankenhooker but i guess if you want to hear what the parallels are you'll have to (laughs) wait and get on the patreon sign up and listen to the frankenhooker episode because there are surprisingly a lot i'll give you a little uh, sneak peek uh both the main characters are named jeffrey (laughs) i did not you, you know what you're right i uh yeah that is a good point. It really helps uh, when you watch it back the, to back in a fury. <laughs> give me one more. <laughs> do, you, do you want one more? One? Yeah, give me one more. Uh, oh, both of them have um, like both of them hinge on like missing body parts or like a oh, or okay, like yeah. uh, or like finding missing body parts or like uh, you know there's like the ear in this and like a ton of body parts in Frankenhooker. There's a lot more I'll get into on the next episode, but. Great. Uh, yeah, sign up for that at patreon.com slash Eric and Jeremy. Um, so, 86 is when Blue Velvet came out, uh, I hope, because that's the year <laughs> that I did research for. Uh, jar of Skippy peanut butter, Jeremy, was... Uh, you want to guess how much a jar of peanut butter was in 86? I'm going to guess like 95 cents. $1.49. Wow, okay. Yeah. Uh, the Oprah Winfrey Show debuts whoa uh, that is yeah. interesting she's old yeah she's been on the air long good for oprah yeah um comet haley uh reaches the closest point to the earth during its second visit to the solar system in the 20th century uh the staged musical of phantom of the opera debuts in london i thought that that was like weird i always thought phantom of the opera was from like the 1500s or something no way. Knowing dude. nothing about it. <laughs> no way, man. Phantom uh, of the Opera, modern. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then uh, the Hands Across America charity event uh, is held. Uh, pun, no pun intended, I guess. Uh, films of 86 uh, Aliens, Top Gun, The Fly, Crocodile Dundee, Stand By Me, Platoon. Big Trouble in Little China, Little Shop of Horrors, mm-hmm. Ferris Bueller, uh, Rodney Dangerfield's Back to School, Karate Kid 2, Flight of the Navigator. This is yeah. a great year, I got to say. It's a murderer's row of fun cult hits. I mean, we're deep into the 90s at this point. I, I mean, I'm sorry, the 80s at this point. I feel like it's we're fully 80s. The Color of Money is out. Pretty in Pink is out. Howard the Duck comes out this year. I mean, it is, it is truly yeah. a... Uh, a again a murderer's row of like cult classics cult hits and sort of like nerd cinema like the transformers movie comes out this year which is yeah the the last appearance or last performance we'd ever get from orson wells (laughs) i feel like this is sort of like peak like practical effects era and also Mm -hmm. uh a lot of cocaine going around (laughs) oh sure yeah we're we're doing coke and we're making friday the 13th jason lives (laughs) (laughs) yeah have you ever seen flight of the navigator oh yeah it's great dude i had this fucking crazy experience when i was uh i saw the name of that movie and i was like it was like i haven't heard that name in years kind of a thing didn't even remember what it was, mm-hmm. and uh, looking back, it's I I remember we had a VHS copy of it, and I remember it like scared me too much when I was a oh, kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like no, the beginning of it, I never got I never got past the beginning of it because I always it was always like too scary for me. And I rewatched that uh, the first like five or so minutes of it. 
and it kind of like mm-hmm. still did it for me. I don't know. It was this like weird thing where it like it like tapped into something in my brain when I was a kid where it like stuck with me. Yeah, uh, I have a weird. Like, I have a thing out. like that about the film Rockadoodle. Rockadoodle. I, I don't know what that is. It's like a weird cartoon with this chicken or this rooster who's the main character. Oh, and I it see. fucking okay. freaks me out, dude. I don't know why, but it just does. A doodle. Yeah. Oh man. So it's a chicken who is Elvis. It looks like. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a chicken who is Elvis. Man, 1986. Also, we saw Three Amigos and the, an American Tale. It's just like it, it's so much. It's so much good stuff. I got to say, there's a character on the cover of Rockadoodle who, um, and we should probably get to Blue Velvet in a moment, but this nah. character looks to be a squirrel or a chipmunk, and it's wearing a coonskin hat, which I- Yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Kind of fucked up. It is fucked or up. Or cool. I don't know. Um, <laughs> Blue, Blue Velvet. Yeah. Uh, neo-noir uh, mystery film. Uh, blends psychological horror with film noir. Uh, stars- Kyle MacLachlan, Isabella Rossellini, uh, Dennis Hopper, and Laura Dern. Uh, Named after Bobby Vinton's uh, 1963 song of the same name. The uh, screenplay of Blue Velvet had been passed around multiple times in the late 70s, early 80s, with several major studios declining it due to its strong sexual and violent content. Uh, After the failure of the... 84 film Dune Lynch attempted to make uh, a more personal story. Uh, I think he tried to get Ronnie Rocket going again for a little while after after Dune. Ah, the um, white whale, Ronnie yeah. Rocket. <laughs> I fucking I would love to see another uh I don't I don't know what I want more. Like more Twin Peaks or just for Lynch to finally make Ronnie Rocket. I want both. I feel like Ronnie Rocket is almost like David Lynch's The Irishman where it's like yeah. a movie that he's been wanting to make his whole career and that all he needs is like the right the right things in place to finally like execute this, you know? So, yeah, exact yeah, yeah. Uh so in the um I'm trying to find sorry, I'm trying to find the name of this thing. It has the word bison in it. I was reading uh that that Room to Dream or listening to to the audiobook for Room to Dream and there's a there's mm. a David Lynch project that he was trying to get going, I think around the time of Twin Peaks, uh, that has the word bison in it. And it was like uh, in the title. And it was uh, comedy, I think, uh, Steve... Uh, 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 why am I blanking on his name? Um, from fucking Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Oh, Steve Martin. Yeah, Steve Martin was connect- was attached to it. Um, but it's it's basically the way David Lynch like summarized it was it's about two... Two uh, guys who are cows, but they don't know it yet. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, great. Which I thought was very funny. There's a lot of that. That f- I cannot recommend that enough. There's like so many really weird, fun uh, projects that he that he tried to get going um, that I would love to see. Uh, but anyway, uh, the independent studio uh, De Laurentiis uh, Entertainment Group. Owned at the time by Italian producer Dino De Laurentiis, agreed to finance and produce the film. Uh, the film's story idealized for or uh, originated from three ideas that crystallized in David Lynch's mind over the period of time as as early as ni- uh, 1973. Uh, the first idea was only a feeling, 
and uh, an image an image of a severed human ear lying in a field. Uh, David Lynch said, I don't know why it had to be an ear, except it needed to be an opening of a part of the body, a hole into something else. Uh, the ear sits on the head and goes right into the mind, so it felt perfect. Mm. Uh, and uh, the third idea was Bobby Vinton's classic uh, rendition of the song Blue Velvet. I feel like I skipped the second one. Oh, the second idea, it was the ear. What was the first idea? Hmm. Well, <laughs> those are some ideas that he had. Yeah, yeah, he had some ideas for sure. Dude, did you know that uh, Isabella Rossellini is the daughter of Roberto Rossellini and Ingrid Bergman? No. That's insane. No wonder she's like, you know, be like a this stunning, beautiful, like, di- like dipped in f- rich film history performer. Like, Ingrid Bergman is, uh, she's the the female lead in Casablanca. Um, mm. And then okay. Roberto Rossellini is like one of these like Italian fucking, like uh, one of the greatest Italian filmmakers ever. Um, yeah. Lynch. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but Lynch and Rossellini uh, uh, got together. I don't think they got married, but I, they, they, they were together for a while. Um, and it started, their relationship started on the, on this. Um, yeah, production for Blue Velvet. Um, it's so weird because I'm like listening to these uh, 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 quotes from from Room to Dream from like Lynch's ex wives, and they're all like, you kind of like hear about how like Lynch like, um, he would just like fall in love with different people a lot, and like mm-hmm. just get too into his work, and it was kind of like this cycle where he would like fall in love with someone, and then like get too into his work and and then like fall in love with someone else and uh but all of his ex-wives and everyone like speak very highly of him it's like oh, very that's good it's very interesting yeah um, yeah that's great though i mean like yeah i also feel like that's sort of a relic of old hollywood too is like even if you had some dirt on somebody you were still like nah like they were great. you always talked highly of them in public kind of a thing I wonder if that's sort of a holdover from that. Because I feel like nowadays it's like there's little, like there's little to no, I don't know, holding back or fucking like not just like ripping people apart as soon as you're done with them. I mean like people splitting up wise, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It, it makes better headlines to be volatile, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, his, uh, I think his, his split with Rossellini was like a little, uh, a little weird. That's like the one where it was, it was like, uh, she was like, oh, he just like stopped talking to me oh my God. Um, or something. <laughs> but, uh, she was like, I think I did something to offend him, but I like, don't know what. But, uh, after, wow. uh, completing, uh, the elephant man, Lynch met producer Richard Roth over coffee uh, Roth had read and enjoyed Ronnie Rocket, but did not think it was something he wanted to produce. He asked Lynch if the filmmaker uh, had any other scripts, uh, but the director only had ideas. He said, I told him I had always wanted to sneak into a girl's room to watch her into the night, and that maybe at one point or another, uh, I would see something that would be the clue to a murder mystery. <laughs> uh, Roth loved the idea and asked me to write a treatment. I went home and thought of the ear in the field. 
Um, so yeah, that's the, that's kind of the, the genesis of the, of the whole idea of the story. Um, this, uh, deal meant, uh, that Blue Velvet was the smallest film on De Laurentiis's slate. Uh, consequently mm. Lynch would be left mostly unsupervised during production. Um, he talks about that this, um, so fondly in, mm. in Room to Dream. Like he really, really had a great time making Blue Velvet. And he said, uh, and after after Dune, he said, "I was so down, so far down uh, that anything was up. So it was just a euphoria. And when you work with that kind of a feeling, you can take chances, you can experiment." Yeah, um, that's so great. Yeah. I mean, good for him. That makes me excited because, yeah, I bet I bet just like the sc- the scale of Dune alone would have made yeah. me had a fucking panic attack every day going into work, you know? So it's like, yeah. this, I'm glad, I'm glad that, you know, he got to dial it back and make a movie really personal to him and something that he really wanted to watch, you know? Yes, exactly. Um, so a little bit of just random trivia, Harry Dean Stanton and Steven uh, Burkoff both turned down the role of Frank because of the violent uh, content I can't picture Harry Dean Stanton as Frank, to be honest. Oh, with dude, you. yeah, but you know what? I love Harry Dean Stanton. He's fucking yeah. awesome, and he ends up—he's in Wild at Heart, right? He'll—he'll he'll be yeah, in a later in, Lynch film. Yeah, yeah, he's in uh, 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 Firewalk, Twin Peaks, Firewalk with me. Oh, um, cool, yeah. And uh, you know, I had to because I had to tap into that that Blu-ray box set I got, Jeremy. I, sure. Full disclosure. <laughs> I watched Firewalk with me the other day. I, I just wow. had to do it. Wow! Um, <laughs> have you had you ever seen it before? I I have. Yeah, it's it's yeah. uh it's up there. It's 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 maybe good. A second you or like third it? Favorite. I like it. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, Molly Ringwald turned down Laura Dern's role. Uh, I could picture someone else it, uh, playing Laura Dern's role, but I don't want to. She's right. so fucking perfect in this. Yeah, she's great, uh, and it's like yeah. young Laura Dern, like pre Jurassic Park. Laura Dern is insane yes. to to me. <laughs> yeah, Laura Dern owns. I'm a big fan. Um, mm-hmm. The role of Jeffrey was originally offered to Val Kilmer, who turned it down, describing the script he read as pornography. Uh, although he says he would have done the version that finally made it to the screen, which makes me think that there was a lot kind of cut out of the script. Do you know what I mean? Like a lot. It like yes. they dialed it back. There was a lot. I actually I started watching the uh I think I finished them, but the the deleted scenes for uh for Blue Velvet and there's a couple like pretty like fucked up ones that are uh I guess <laughs> bordering on pornography. Um I will say like a lot of what was cut uh from those scenes that I saw was like setup of like it, like in the final cut, we just see, we just get right into the ear. We just get right into like Jeffrey goes home. We know why he's there. And there's like no, it's like very, very brief setup. And you like understand that this kid's like back from college uh, and his dad's in the hospital or whatever. Uh, a lot of the de- deleted scenes are that first like happen around that first like 10 minutes of the film. It's just like a ton of setup. Like we see Jeffrey leaving college and talking to his like college girlfriend and like saying goodbye. And there's like a long conversation with his aunt and mom at the at bre- at the breakfast table and like kind of like 
more mundane stuff. I, I, I could definitely see why a lot of the scenes were, were cut uh, just for, I don't know, pacing or something. Because it's, it's a pretty, yeah. it, I would say it's long enough. It's like a long Yeah, I think, movie. yeah, it doesn't seem like it adds much either. Yeah. Uh, so the scene in which Dorothy appears naked outside was inspired by a real-life experience Lynch had during childhood when he and his brother saw a naked woman walking down a neighborhood street at night. Uh, I believe this was when they lived in uh, Boise, and uh, he described it as very uh, traumatic and not like, it was like the first time he'd seen a naked woman, and it wasn't like, a good experience he said sure he, he yeah really no scared. it's and it's not good in this either <laughs> no um lynch's original rough cut ran for approximately four hours mm. uh i feel like that's just gonna be in the trivia for all of david lynch's movies yeah uh, yeah there was a scary apartment building in lynch's neighborhood in idaho uh where he grew up uh which is uh what this apartment building is based on and then one more little tidbit. Uh, Roy Orbison initially rejected David Lynch's request to use the song in Dreams. Uh, Lynch found a way to legally use the song anyway, and Orbison did not discover the song was in the movie until he happened to see a movie, the movie in a California theater. Mm-hmm. Uh, Orbison, Orbison eventually filmed a video for the song in, uh, that was produced by Lynch with footage from the movie. Um, hmm. So, yeah. There's that so is, much more trivia to this too. Like I'm just like there really at this. is. There's like yeah. there's like an insane amount. Like almost every like kind of biggish actor at the time, um, was like up for w- some of these roles. Anyone yeah. from like Deborah Winger to Helen Hunt to Meryl Streep, like they were all like up for at one point one of these roles. Um, yeah, Rodney yeah, Dangerfield no. was gonna be Jeffrey. I love it. <laughs> uh, what do you that say? That is we... a shame. That's a shame that that, that didn't materialize. <laughs> what do you say we take out our shovels and dig into the plot here? Yeah. Hey, sounds good. Uh, yes. Lend us your ear, if you will. Oh, uh, so uh... doctor. <laughs> the doctor is in. Sometime. During the 1960s, college student Jeffrey Beaumont returns uh, home to Lumberton, North Carolina, after his father suffers a near-fatal stroke. Uh, Walking home from the hospital, he cuts through a vacant lot uh, and discovers a severed ear. Um, The dog in the beginning is is (laughs) David Lynch's dog, Sparky. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say, I was going to ask you, what did you think of the opening of this film? Uh, I love it. It's re- it's 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 really good. Um, that was more another one or two of the deleted scenes, like kind of expanded on the dad uh, having his heart attack or whatever or stroke. Hmm. And I kind of like how brief it is. Like you, you don't really need that much from it. But sure. But yeah, I, I it's good. It's like it's very um, it sucks you in right away. I don't know yeah. what 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 did you think of it. I liked it. I liked the. I liked the. Uh, you know the, the intro being set over the, like the blue background and the you know like the fonts really cool. It's very iconic. Like uh, it's a very iconic opening to a film. I think this and yeah. then partnered with just like the absurdity of the heart attack and the dog going nuts on the hose. You know. Yeah. The dog is essentially trying to bite the hose water like dogs will often do, but like while the dad is 
like having a fully having a heart attack. <laughs> I will say the like white picket fence and the roses is like one of the most important shots, at least in the beginning here, because it's like, mm-hmm. uh. It, it, it it just sets up you just like automatically know what the neighborhood is like you know right away yeah. just from that like simple shot and you just kind of you're like oh we're in like a simple small town uh and it would be like crazy for something bad to happen here kind of yeah thing. Like, i feel like the, the 1980s had a lot of this sort of reaction to the 1950s I see this a lot mm. in like a lot, especially a lot of like the kids' movies, like The Sandlot and uh, fucking Sandlot might have been '90s, but definitely Stand by Me. But also like The Burbs is a reaction to this sort of thing, like where it's like it's like oh my gosh, suburbia is so fucking insane. There's an underbelly of suburbia that we just don't know about, you know? Like everyone yeah. pre- uh, pretends to be so put together, and they're really fucking aliens or monsters or you know there's really crime happening i feel like that was a very popular idea to posit in the 80s yeah they're creating a frankenstein out of uh dead prostitute yeah patreon.com slash eric and jeremy uh mm-hmm. jeffrey takes the ear to the police detective john williams uh and becomes reacquainted with the detective's daughter sandy uh, after eavesdropping on her father, uh, discussing the ear with a colleague, Sandy tells Jeffrey that it was somehow, uh, relates back to a lounge singer named Dorothy Valens. Um, intrigued, Jeffrey enters Dorothy's apartment, uh, by exposing as an exterminator, uh, so he kind of, like, ropes Sandy into, uh, into this, this kind of, like, plan that he has, this, like, crazy fascination he has with this like ear he found and right and to uh, set it up you know it's like i kind of get the feeling that jeffrey is older than sandy like sandy's still in high school Mm -hmm. right and then jeffrey is like in college maybe and he's kind of visiting and he's just like i don't know i read this as like he's just utterly bored with suburbia to the point where he's like chasing down this mystery to see where it'll, it'll go you know what I mean? Just out of the, out of curiosity and out of just sheer like boredom. Yeah, yeah, that's what it seems like to me too. Um, Jeffrey's kind of an. I'll, I'll just I'll just pop, throw this out there right away. Jeffrey's kind of a weird character to me. <laughs> um, he he he. I can't like think of someone in my life who I know who is like I could compare to Jeffrey. Yeah, he is like very interesting yeah he's interesting yeah his motivations for doing stuff is very weird and he's kind of a liar in this film and kind of a scoundrel in a a lot of ways yeah he's not like he's he's not a that's a good point he's like not a morally good person no but but it's but it is kyle mclaughlin in the 80s so you get these like beautiful eyes he's like so like he looks so like like jackie was watching this with me she was like he's so handsome like commenting on like Kyle McLaughlin, 80s Kyle McLaughlin being also like very innocent looking, you know, but yeah. deep underneath that, there's like some sort of weird, like, I don't know, like some weird, like morbid fascination and just being kind of a liar. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, the, uh, 
the the shot of Sandy, one of my favorite shots is when we first see Sandy coming out oh, of the darkness. Oh, it's so good. Dude. Unreal. It's 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 fucking beautiful. Uh and I also really like Jeffrey like uh when they're walking down the 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 sidewalk and he's like mm-hmm. yeah. What does he say? Oh yeah, he's like I I used to know a guy that lived there had the biggest tongue in the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then he does a chicken walk, uh, the chicken walk bit. I feel um, like this is yeah. David Lynch. Like this is what you would, oh. what you can expect from talking to David Lynch. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, and it is similar with Dale Cooper, uh, McLaughlin's character in Twin Peaks. Is um, Lynch handled like a lot of Cooper's dialogue because it's kind of like an extension of of him. But right. um, yeah, so they so they do the they develop this plan and and uh, go to this lounge singer's apartment. He does the uh, fucking um, spraying for bugs bit. Yeah, and uh, then he sees the guy, the yellow man, for the first time here. Yes. Yeah. Um, yes, the yellow man. Uh, Jeffrey and Sandy attend Dorothy's nightclub uh, act in which she sings Blue Velvet. Uh, the pair leave early so that Jeffrey can investigate her apartment in her absence. Uh, however, Dorothy returns home early, discovers Jeffrey hiding in a closet, and threatens him with a knife. Yeah. This is... It fucking... It's suspenseful for me every time. It's It's just yeah. like... It's a lot. It's a this lot. This is also this is also when the film sort of takes a turn, like because yeah. everything is just sort of like again, you, like almost like a, a teen noir at this. But then at this point, we got Jeffrey in the closet, sort of like being kind of being a pervert. He's like he's like watching her sure. undress and watching her have this really hard conversation on the phone where she's basically, you know, admitted that uh she's basically conveying to the audience that her son and husband have been kidnapped and uh yeah that's where we first learn frank's name um mm-hmm. and then when she catches jeffrey uh yeah she the this is this is the moment where it breaks for me where all of a sudden like instead of just kicking him the fuck out or stabbing him which she would have every right to do uh she asks him she kind of can like feel the sexual tension between them and asks him to undress (laughs) yeah it's uh yeah it's pretty it's it's pretty nuts um one of my favorite stories about the production of this is uh i forget who who told it but like there was one guy uh in this documentary i watched about this who who, uh mentioned that david lynch um in between takes when they were filming in this apartment yeah um was placing dust bunnies beneath a uh, a radiator and the thing was that like the guy was like you couldn't see them in the in the shot like mm-hmm. no one would ever see these dust bunnies anywhere um but that was just david lynch's just like insane attention to detail yeah uh, that like just them being there would would somehow affect the sort of like the energy of it I just really like that. And also That's apparently weird, yeah. it took them like they tried like tons of different like slats in the in the closet door until they found ones mm-hmm. with like good lighting. Uh which I thought was interesting. Yeah. Um That is but, that is cool, yeah. yeah. So Jeffrey uh 
retreats back to the closet when their encounter is interrupted by the arrival of a man named Frank Booth, uh, who beats and subjects Dorothy to a a variety of violent sex acts during the course of role-playing game in which he refers to her as mommy and baby and daddy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, It became apparent that Frank was a gangster, uh, has abducted Dorothy's husband and child in order to force her uh, into sex slavery. He's also doing uh, like amyl nitrate. Yeah, uh, so I like, didn't know what yeah. that was. Like, did did they ever explicitly say that that's what that is? So there's kind of a story behind this where um, David Lynch, it was originally like nitrous or something. Mm-hmm. And uh, when Dennis Hopper came aboard, he was like, no, it should be amyl nitrate. Because Hopper's like, there's a whole backstory, but that I'll talk about with uh, regards to Hopper. But uh, he uh, was, le- he was like a, a pretty big druggie and he was like, no, it's got, it should be amyl nitrate, which I guess is <laughs> sort of like a, uh, 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 anis- uh, what's it called? Uh, what's it's something that makes you horny. <laughs> um, right, right. Right. Yeah. I'm trying yeah, to think of the yeah. Are you trying to tell me it. that the, the writer director of easy rider was a drug addict? <laughs> <laughs> um, so that, here's, that, that, yeah. Well, I was just going to say, Dennis Hopper... So this is the intro to Dennis Hopper in the movie. We see him for the first time. And I got to say, like, what what you see is pretty rough. Like, that scene yeah. is pretty rough. There's full on... It, it, it's basically a rape scene. Um, it, it But it's, it's simultaneously also one of the performances of the... The, one of the great film performances of all time, like him as That's Frank really good. B- Booth, is like... It's so funny and so crazy and so weird. Frank Booth is like, I don't know. He is he is quite a character and quite an on-screen presence in a way that I don't know I can I don't know we even want to compare him to other than maybe like a Batman villain. Yeah, he's uh god, he's so so a few things he he his reputation in Hollywood uh Hoppers was like not very good at the, the at this point. He was had this reputation of being just really disruptive on set, and <laughs> impossible to work with because he was just like so fucked up on drugs and alcohol. Um, and he went to rehab and he cleaned himself up and did a movie before Blue Velvet. And he basically called David Lynch and was like. I have to be Frank Booth because I am Frank Booth. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I read and, that quote. Yeah. And this, 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 it was really hard for him, I guess, to like get into this role because it was like he had just kind of like put this, you know, part of his like life uh, away, but he, he felt like he had to do this. Um, so he uh, basically, I think he had like someone that the director of the film that he did before Blue Velvet, like right a letter or call David Lynch and be like, don't worry. Dennis Hopper's like clean now. And he's like, well-behaved. Uh, another thing, uh, another piece of trivia in this scene is, uh, Rossellini is not wearing underwear. Yeah. Um, when she opens her legs, uh, and he didn't know that. Um, and then before, uh, cause this was, I think the first, one of the first things that they filmed in the entire for the entire uh, movie, uh, Rossellini wanted to have dinner with with Dennis Hopper uh, beforehand because they were going to do this like 
crazy like rape scene and she i don't know felt like she wanted to like get to know him a little bit or whatever and i guess when uh dennis hopper showed up to dinner he was like what what you want to you want to know me uh that we're actors we're actors <laughs> like he was just like uh wow. made her yeah made her feel like silly about it but i don't know every like everyone uh behind the scenes seemed to talk about how like Hopper was just like very intense, but like he's so fucking good at what he does that it kind of makes up for it. Yeah, I mean it's it's so it's just like it's the most fun thing in this film to watch, truly. Yeah. Is like his performance. It's it's the most fun thing. It's like yeah. And again, it's like you want to <laughs> you want to you want to hear people talk about Frank Booth just like Google top 25 greatest villain performances or strangest performances of all time. Like he'll he'll show up on a million lists cuz it's just like it's very iconic, I think, just his yeah. read of this character. Um and I feel like it's something that Lynch loves to do is like juxtapose uh, juxtapose like high octane energies up against each other. Like we're about to get to a scene where he goes to a party and everyone's being so quiet in the scene. And the only person screaming at the top of his lungs is Dennis Hopper. And it almost like makes nobody like no one. It's almost like nobody questions it or flinches or, or or like, is like, Hey, keep it down. Like, like, you know what I mean? It's, it's like, it's like strange how Lynch loves to like, almost have an insane emotional like yeah fucking performance happen to no response um but yeah i think i also like the the story about saying fuck is great where like hopper talks about i think the word fuck is used 56 times in this movie all by dennis hopper uh it's probably the most foul like uh character ever you know outside of a tarantino film and uh, Lynch wouldn't say the F word when talking about the script to Dennis Hopper. Like he could write it, but he wouldn't say it because Lynch is a gentleman, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Frank leaves. Dorothy uh, makes another romantic overture towards uh, Jeffrey who leaves. Uh, a disturbed Jeffrey relays the experience to Sandy who tells him a prophetic dream in which Robins descend from the sky to eat and kill insects that have overrun the world. Uh, that's a really, that's a really good, uh, moment. Yeah. That monologue is amazing. You know, and like, okay, so there's, you know, it's, it's, it's almost, it's weird that we're getting to Twin Peaks next because there's so much Twin Peaks DNA in this, in this film. And one of the things, like one, one thing that I thought of immediately was, and I'm going to butcher everyone's name, Eric, so you're gonna have to help me, but when uh when laura dern's character is doing this monologue it reminded me of the colonel in twin peaks doing that monologue to his son you know what i'm talking about oh briggs yeah yeah briggs yeah. uh yeah yeah when he uh, tells his son about the dream he had remember that <laughs> yeah 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 um yeah, yeah it's like both these like beautiful monologues that seemingly come out of nowhere that are like so emotionally impactful yeah. Um, yes, and this is. Uh, I guess we get some dream stuff in in Eraserhead. And dreams have just always been ev- present, a big part of uh, David Lynch's filmography. Um, right. But uh, Jeffrey uh, returns to Dorothy's apartment, where she confesses uh, an attraction to him, and the two enter into a sadomasochistic sexual relationship in which Dorothy. Mm. Uh, 
encourages Jeffrey to beat her, uh, though he mm. proves hesitant. Uh, later, Jeffrey observes Frank in the audience at one of Dorothy's shows and begins following him, observing him uh, engaging in drug dealing and a meeting with the yellow man. Uh, Jeffrey tells Sandy about his observations and the two kiss briefly. Uh, <laughs> uh, later, Jeffrey returns to Dorothy, who coerces him into a violent sexual encounter that leaves him disturbed. Our boy's a pimp. Our boy... Uh, <laughs> Our boy gets the gets the ladies. Yeah, uh, he's a ma- he's a regular <laughs> Mac Daddy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is what I was talking about, where it's like from a mile away, you're kind of like, huh? Like it was weird. I didn't remember this aspect of the film, but like me, like not liking Jeffrey as much, being like, whoa, yeah. like why? Like he's kind of a dirtbag a little bit. Like he's kind of playing, um, you know, what is it, the Madonna and the whore or whatever? Like the 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 two the dichotomy of like what men want is like. Someone who presents like Laura Dern, but can fuck like Isabella Rossellini or whatever. Um, that's like, you know, that's like, that's like entrenched in film iconography. And I feel like this is like doing it so, I don't know. It's like, it's like putting it out there so crazily. I do think Jeffrey genuinely cares about Dorothy and Laura oh, Dern. Oh, yeah. But it is just like how this is all shaking out is so, is so nuts. And, and maybe we'll get into that towards the end of more like what all this represents or what all this means exactly, or just who the character of Jeffrey is in general. But, um, I, I want to keep going cause there's more stuff. So, uh, Frank catches Jeffrey and Dorothy together and abducts them, uh, oh, forcing Jeffrey to accompany him to, uh, the home of a criminal associate named Ben, uh, who is holding Dorothy's family hostage. I know, I know. Uh, Frank says it, but goddamn, is Ben smooth? He's just—it's uh, <laughs> like the smoothest character in anything. Yeah. He's so suave. <laughs> I know. Yeah, uh, suave. That's the word he says. Yeah. Suave. Ben is suave. Uh, um, I love the staging of this scene. It is mm. so Lynchian, so fucking weird. Just like the general unattractiveness of everyone in this room is so crazy and funny. It reminds me of going to like weird like townie parties back in my old college town of like people who like lived there their whole lives, Mm. you know, like just like kind of like, Oh gross. Like what is everyone doing here? Like, like I just wanted to ask that. I was like, what are you all doing? Is everyone just looked (laughs) like they were sitting around, but it was like people in their mid (laughs) forties, like, like old white women in their mid forties. It's just such a strange fucking like situation for everyone. Yeah, it's really bizarre. Uh, Frank so Frank permits Dorothy to see her husband and son who are there. Uh, he forces Jeffrey to watch Ben perform an impromptu lip sync of Roy Orbison's In Dreams, uh, which causes Frank to suffer a breakdown. We get some great, uh, which I guess was improvised, dancing from uh, Brad Dourif in the background. Oh, yeah. Episode. Yeah, we, for- we forgot to mention that In Frank's Gang is both Jack Nance and... Chucky yeah. himself, Brad Dourif. I love Jack Nance as like a gangster, like tough guy. I don't yeah. buy it, but it's no, it's not at all. Least intimidating, softest guy in the world, uh, yeah. doing weird stuff. Like I, like I think his his recurring move is he just keeps calling Je- uh, Jeffrey Paul. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so afterwards, uh, Frank takes Jeffrey to a field where he gives him a threatening, symbolic kiss before subjecting him to a violent beating. 
the next I love I love the embellishment of the Wikipedia article there where it's like yeah. it's sort of like uh editorializing. <laughs> I'm like, oh yeah, I guess it was a symbolic kiss before a violent beating. Um I, I kinda wanna hang on this scene for just a second because it's like it's so crazy and weird and like yeah. Um, that woman dancing on top of the car while yeah, really Frank good. is beating yeah. the shit out of Kyle McLaughlin is so nuts. It's just like Frank, like the rules of Frank's life are so un- disturbed and uh, and like uh, inaccessible. Like I'm not sure like what Frank makes him happy, what makes him sad. Like all I know is he has rules and like terms for stuff, and it's important that you get them right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's uh. He's a wild man. Uh, the next day, uh, Jeffrey goes to the police station where he realizes that Sandy's uh, father's partner is the yellow man uh, who has been murdering Frank's uh, rival drug dealers and stealing their supplies from the evidence room uh, for Frank to sell himself. Uh, I will say that I like totally like never really understood. I like kind of understood... I understood the connection between the yellow man and Frank uh, and and the fact that they were, like, killing people and maybe there was, like, drugs involved and stuff, but I didn't really understand, like, the specifics of it. And I, I didn't I never know that really either, yeah. I cared too much. Um, right. I don't think it super matters. Yeah. Jeffrey confesses everything to Sandy and the two attend a dance together where they admit their feelings uh, for one another. So this song, I don't know if you remember this song when the two uh, yeah, are dude, dancing. Yeah, this is a song that uh, I forget what the song is, but Lynch really wanted to use this one song, and it was like way too expensive. Uh, so uh, Angelo Badalamenti, wh- who this is the first film that they uh, collaborate on, and yeah. will, they will continue to be working together for for years and years. But uh, he was like, "Well, why don't you just write a song, and I'll write some lyrics, and I'll try and write a song." Uh, and I guess David Lynch wrote like a bunch of like random phrases and words that he thought w- could be a song. And Angelo Badalamenti, uh, in this inter- interview I was watching was like, I was like pretty like disappointed to be honest. Like it was just all <laughs> about like dreams and like none of it rhymed, like none of it made any sense. Uh, but what they ended up coming up with is like fucking beautiful. It's like yeah. so good. Angelo's yeah. great. He's like, um, responsible for the twin peaks theme song right yeah Mm -hmm. uh so on the way home they're pursued by an unidentified car and assume it's frank and his gang Uh, as they arrive at jeffrey's home sandy recognizes the car as her boyfriend mike mike and his gang leap from his car ready to beat up jeffrey for stealing sandy uh before the fight can start a naked and beaten dorothy emerges (laughs) uh yeah Confused, Mike realizes that there's nothing between Jeffrey and Sandy, and he retreats as the two uh, whisk Dorothy to Sandy's house. Uh, yeah. Yeah, this Pretty, scene's uh, great because wild. it's like the, they're doing a lot of great acting in it. Like mm-hmm. uh, Kyle MacLachlan has to simultaneously like communicate non-verbally to Laura Dern as she's also communicating to him non-verbally as... Isabella Rossellini is saying stuff like he put his disease in me over and over again. Yeah. <laughs> it is, it is, uh, uh, how do you say awkward? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess awkward's the best. <laughs> I was trying to yeah, think of another word for awkward. Um, yeah. And, uh, I guess, so for a lot of these exterior scenes, like 
the the town where they film this the residents were like fascinated and would like sit around and just watch the filming and i guess there were like tons of people around watching the the filming wow. of the scene and the next day uh they got word from law enforcement that they like couldn't do exteriors anymore <laughs> uh, yeah. after filming this one, which, uh, you know, I guess that makes sense. Uh, yeah. Jeffrey asks Sandy to tell her father everything and returns alone to Dorothy's apartment where he discovers her uh, husband dead and the yellow man mortally wounded. Um, yeah, I'd describe that as mortally wounded. Uh, I would, I, I, I always <laughs> thought he was just dead, but like standing in place. Like that's one of the most, I think that's a very iconic shot in this oh, film yeah. too, is like the yellow man standing dead. Um, yep. which is like not something you see very often. I see dead people laying around all the time, but not standing. Yeah. I mean, I see dead people, um, all the time. <laughs> sure. Because I have six senses. Uh, remembering that Frank has a uh, police radio in his car, Jeffrey uses the yellow man's walkie-talkie to lie about the precise location in the apartment. Uh, after Frank enters, Jeffrey ambushes and shoots him dead with the yellow man's gun. Um, Sandy's father leads a police raid on Frank's headquarters, killing his men and crippling his criminal empire. Uh, Jeffrey and Sandy enter into a relationship and attend a family barbecue uh with his recuperated father where they note the presence of a robin consuming a bug mm-hmm. while Dorothy is reunited with her son. Um, yeah, that's that's the end of uh, Blue Velvet. <laughs> <laughs> wow, what a ride. What a ride it was. Uh, yeah. you, what do you think of this movie, Jeremy? I mean, it's just a lot to unpack. Uh, I Sometimes I think the format of our show is like... It's like, it's great, but sometimes it doesn't always leave a lot of time to thoroughly discuss like all the weird symbolism and metaphor. And when you're dealing with Lynch, especially in this era, yeah, it's like it's just so right ripe with with all kinds of weird like, what the fuck? What does the Heineken versus the Paps Blue Ribbon mean? You know, like what does uh. Like, yeah what does the yellow man represent or like what is what who is jeffrey even like who what kind of character is he like is this a film about growing up you know what i mean like is it a film about like a, your first sexual experience and like um or or is it a film about getting in too deep like dipping your toes in with a darkness like you don't understand or, or can't possibly um can't possibly like maintain you know there's a lot of uh it's 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 a very smart film, but there's a lot of like themes that I think like I don't know if I hear people talking about them all the time. I will say this though: uh, Do you know who David Foster Wallace is, Eric? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. he like he like points to Blue Velvet as being like one of his biggest inspirations uh, as on him as a writer, which I think is like very cool. Like important people love this film. I love this film. Um. I guess at the end of the day, there's just not enough time. We would need several episodes to talk about every, every how we feel about every part of this and fan theories about what they think about the film. And um, yeah, this is going to be tough to get through. I mean, considering we got to do Lost Highway, Mulholland Drive, <laughs> and Inland Empire. Yeah, it's going to be tough. Yeah. Uh, would uh, but I mean, it's one of your favorites, so go on, gush about it, my friend. <laughs> 
I think it's about it's about uh I've kind of always thought that this was about the loss of innocence. I think that's sort of like a theme in in David Lynch movies. I think it is too in like Mulholland Drive is a good example. There's some storylines in Twin Peaks where um that comes into play. Um listening to him talk about uh in the biography about um there are like certain uh moments in his childhood that he talks about like very um like with like a lot of importance um such as like the scene the naked woman and there's like a moment where like this girl teaches him about about sex mm. um that he talks about and um he like talks about these kind of like moments like very uh as if they were like very significant and affected him uh, a lot and i think that that kind of from what i gathered a lot of uh like childhood uh memories or not even memories but just little like tiny elements of his childhood are like in this um in this movie especially like when he lived in in boise um when he lived in boise he was uh, another moment another thing that happened was I guess like some older kids had taken him on this like big scary like car ride where they were like driving super fast that kind of inspired the like car ride with Frank um so I don't know this to me is just a movie about the loss of innocence um something that'll come up a lot uh is David Lynch is a huge fan of uh the Wizard of Oz and I think it's no uh no accident that uh, Rosalini's character is named Dorothy. I think I just thought of this now, but maybe the the yellow the yellow man uh, has some type of a uh, symbolism to like the yellow brick road or something. I don't know. Um, we will see in Wild at Heart that that movie is just like super influenced. Yeah, by, uh, that is basically an allegory Wizard. for yeah. Wizard of Oz. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I love I love this movie. I think it's a great movie, and uh, uh, I'm glad I'm glad that we watched it. Um, yeah. So next week we will be covering uh, what are we doing? Spartacus. Yeah, Spartacus, the, to the Stanley Kubrick classic, Spartacus. Um, yeah, that's yes. gonna be that's gonna be interesting because again, I have not seen it. I don't think you have either. Correct. This is Sparta. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know the famous uh, line from Spartacus: "This is Sparta, kiss." Um, yeah, uh, but no, I'm 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 really excited to revisit that film or take a look at it or visit it for the first time. Um, we also got, uh, I guess, by this at this point, Frank and Hooker will have already aired. So if you haven't listened to the episode, please jump on our Patreon and check it out. The movie Frankenhooker, you can watch it for free. Look at, go to our Twitter because we have. I posted the link on there, but uh, it's a wild ride. I, I'm, I'm sure our conversation about it is uh, no less than uh, entertaining <laughs> and and good. Um, so, Jeremy, do you have anything you wanna you wanna plug before we uh, before we sign off? No, not at all. All right. <laughs> uh, cool. Patreon.com slash Eric and Jeremy. Uh, chip in. You can even chip in one one single dollar. We'll get you. We'll get you a shout out on the show, and uh, you know it costs a little bit of money to do this kind of stuff. Um, so any help is appreciated. But uh, yeah, with that, I will say the sign off line. Norma, I'll see you in my dreams. Mm-hmm.
Hell yeah. <laughs>